You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Everyone who analyzes the draft puts together a big board every year, ranking the prospects. I'm no different. So stay tuned and I will give you an update on where I am in terms of my top 20 prospects ranked in the 2022 NBA draft. You were locked on the NBA draft. It is a Wednesday and you're joined by me. It is Sam Ferris, your host. You can follow me on Twitter at Draft Dummies. As you all well know by now, I am there posting stats, thoughts, a lot of clips, both from prospects and from rookies in the NBA. I did enjoy this All-Star weekend, but I'm excited for the NBA to pick back up. College basketball continues. There's been a lot to watch. But as as I hinted at at the top, if you are an NBA draft analyst, consider yourself at least somewhat of an expert you always do a big board ranking your prospects. It's basically the thing we do all our work for, and it's summarized there in a nice executive summary of a big board. You can see kind of the preferences we have, what archetype of players we prefer, but it's just kind of the final draft summary of all the study and work we've done on the draft. Now, the this cycle is not over there's still time to go we're looking forward to march madness coming up soon but today i'm going to give you my update as of february 22nd 2022 2222 where i'm at so the way i'm going to do it is i'm going to reveal my top few tiers which comprise of 20 prospects so i'm going to run through my top 20 in order i don't have time to talk about all of them today so what i'm going to do is three segments and so i'm going to split the prospects up do a couple tiers in each segment but in each segment i'm going to focus on just one guy that either is interesting to me or might be kind of surprising to the listeners so go through my big board and also focus on three prospects throughout all right so without further ado let's get into the rankings we'll start at the top And I'll say this, I do have tiers throughout these rankings. Again, I'm just going to go through the top 20 today. I'm going to go through and tell you the tiers I have them in. And generally within a tier, I have them roughly ranked, but I'm not going to fight you if you argue one guy from the same tier is better than the others. That's kind of the rough definition of it. You know, they're very similar. It's tough to decipher in it. More than anything, it'll come down to situation, in my opinion. So, starting at the top, I have three guys clearly at the top, and the way I have this broken out is I have them each in like a half tier of their own. So I've got 1A, 1B, 1C, and then a second tier and a third tier. I'll go through those first three tiers in this first segment here. So starting at the top, at 1A, I've got Chet Holmgren, the unicorn, the big, out of Gonzaga. I like to do, you know, positional rankings, ranking whatever you want to call positions in the modern NBA. And I've had some people call him a center. I I personally don't really list him as a center. I call kind of just call him a Chet because he is kind of his own thing. 
you he might end up playing center he might end up playing power forward but his versatility the entire package that comes with him is one of the best shot blockers in college basketball who can finish at the rim and also shoots the three at over 40 percent i think i saw a stat today he's the first college basketball player to block i think three shots a game shoot 70 percent at the rim and 40 percent from three he is kind of the heir apparent to that unicorn name 1b i've got jabari smith 1c i got Jaden ivy so that kind of comprises my first tier the top three guys again i do have them in that order broken out by like a half tier after that i've got a three-man tier of boncaro shaden sharp and aj griffin so two duke guys and then shaden sharp who we're not going to see this year does he even enter the draft is the question that we all have I don't know. I'm just going to include him for now because this draft, in my opinion, is a little bit weak. Not a lot of depth. And outside of this top seven or eight guys, it's just not that strong, in my opinion. So just to, for my own sake, to kind of make myself feel a little bit better about this class, I do have him included. I have him there at fifth, sandwiched between Paulo and AJ Griffin. Again, that is a tier, and I'm not going to fight you if you you know, choose to have Sharp above Paulo, AJ above Sharp. Those three guys are a solid tier for me. The fo- uh, the next tier, the final one that I will reveal is part of this segment, and then I want to talk about specifically one of, the, one of these guys in the next tier. It is just a two-man tier. Jalen Duran and Johnny Davis, two very different prospects, but I think, to me, I do have them ranked below that tier above but I have them clearly above the next tier of guys as well. So a little awkward just having a two-man tier there, but that's just my evaluation. I think these guys are better than that next group of guys. The guy I wanted to talk about today as part of the segment and focus in on is Jalen Duran, the center out of Memphis, because I feel like some people might be at least a little bit surprised that I have him this high. I know he is a guy that... People love to debate. He does incite some differences in terms of opinion. I do still have him up this high, certainly in part because of the weakness of the remainder of the draft, but also I just really value what I know about him, and I know about him that he is a physical specimen who is already a good college basketball player that should just be a senior in high school right now. So basically... One of the youngest guys in the draft, already a solid college basketball player, has elite physical tools for a center in terms of solid size, 6'10", 6'11", very strong, already physically developed, and a very good athlete. I wouldn't say an elite explosive athlete, but very good for his size. So what I wanted to talk about, because we all love to talk about potential comparisons who a guy plays like, what his stats compare to in terms of looking back at a historical perspective. So I think there is a guy that is a good comparison, both statistically looking back and just as a player type. And that guy is Derek Favors. Now, I've been thinking about this comparison for a while now, but I'm not the first person to mention him. Uh, Another 
draft Twitter guide, draft pal mentioned this as well. And I agreed with this comparison, but on one of my favorite stat sites that I mentioned, Bart Torvik, um, one of the cool things they do is you can click on a player's name and they generate the prospects or the college basketball players that were most similar statistically to that player. So when you click on Jalen Duran, I think one of the first two or three comparisons that come up is Derek Favors out of Georgia Tech. Now, some people might remember him more obviously now than they do remember him as a prospect or as an early NBA player, either in New Jersey or Utah. And you might remember him now as the current guy that he is, which he's a little bit worn down, a ton of back issues, some knee problems too. He's just not the physical athlete that he once was. And I remember a pretty interesting anecdote where, um, what's the, I can't remember the name of like the gym or the site what is it like P3 or whatever the the place in like Santa Clara where these guys go to get physically tested before the draft well i remember them saying that Derek Favors was the most explosive horizontal athlete ever where they do this side to side training and your ability to explode side to side he was the most explosive they'd ever tested i thought that was pretty fascinating uh, just a tidbit that came to mind as i'm thinking about Derek Favors the prospect Again, he was a better athlete than we think of him now. And I think just in terms of from a physical profile, I think they're both a very similar size where, you know, 10 years ago, Favors was kind of a tweener in terms of being a four five, but now he's just the size of most centers. He can move better than most guys his age. And he was, you know, a very explosive athlete at like 6'10 as well coming out of Georgia Tech. They both also shoot the mid-range shot pretty well. That's something that Derek Favors, especially as an older vet now does, is shoot that just free throw line, little kind of half jumper, half floater shot. Pretty interesting that we know about the dunks, the finishing at the rim for Duran, but he's also shooting 42% on long twos. And while I don't personally think it's very likely that he shoots threes, I do really believe that he's going to be a good short to medium range shooter just on that nice little kind of fading back jumper he's got. And he also decent touch on like just the short jumper slash floater shot that I'm talking about here. Defensively, I think they're similar too. So I just think that is an interesting comparison to chew on where the statistics line up according to Bart Torvik and just in terms of remembering them both as prospects, again, going back 10, 12 years with favors now, I will say I think Duran is maybe two, three, four percent better athletically than favors was, is just a leaper in explosiveness. And he's a better passer than favors ever was. That to me is important. And so if we're saying he's Derek Favors plus, you know, if he's 5% more effective than Favors was over the course of his career and you hope he doesn't pick up those injuries, you know, that's a really interesting player. And I think that's a guy that's going to return top 10 value in this class. So just to finish up, a few stats again on Jalen Duran, 49 dunks this year, 76% at the rim overall is very good. Ranks in the 96th percentile among all college basketball players. 
And again, that 42% on long twos is a number that kind of surprised me, but I've always been a guy that believes in kind of that mid-range shot with him. Again, the comparison with favors we talked about. And the passing is just a little bit better than your average kind of athletic center of this archetype that you think of. Now, the turnover rate is way too high right now. He, he does just try stuff that he can't get away with. But again, he's really young. At least he's trying stuff. And I do see the vision from time to time, which is, again, better than you expect from whether it's Derek Favors, DeAndre Jordan, Clint Capella, whatever kind of athletic center you think of in that archetype. He just is a little bit better as a passer, even at age 18. And to me, that is important. So the package you're getting with the athleticism, already productive player, especially since Memphis doesn't have a good point guard to really get him the ball. I, I think he just is being overlooked by a lot of people, and he's comfortably in this top eight for me. Let's see, I have, um, I have him ranked as the seventh best guy right now, Johnny Davis eight, but those guys are pretty interchangeable too. So Jalen Duran is a guy I'm a little bit higher on than the consensus. I hope Memphis makes it into March Madness so we can continue to see him and get a little bit larger of a sample size of him in college. Coming up next, though, I will continue to break down, go through the next two tiers, which is a large group of wing prospects that are pretty intriguing. And I'll talk about one of those guys that stands out as interesting to me. All right, NBA fans, are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA? Then you need to try the award-winning app, PrizePix. It's easy to use because you just pick two to five players and an over-under on their stat projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. Entries are easy, quick, and safe. You can make them in up to 60 seconds. They also allow mixed sports entries, which is pretty fun as well, and they don't offer just the NBA. They have other options including college basketball, football, NFL, MLB, soccer, MMA, and more. So because you're listening to our show, for a limited time, Price Picks has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all of our users. You get $50 for free if a player in your first Price Picks entry scores a single point, but you must use code NBA. That's right. A single point using code NBA, $50 for free if that player scores a single point again the app is called prize picks okay this next group i have titled wings and it's again it's a group of six guys here they they round out the rest of my lottery if you want to consider you know the top 14 guys the guys that i view as lottery prospects heading into March here. Now, I've got them kind of, again, broken into a half tier here. So I'll go with the top three guys, which are Kendall Brown, Pat Baldwin, Benedict Matherin. Then half tier down, I've got Ingram, Harrison Ingram from Stanford, Dyson Daniels from the G League Ignite, and Jeremy Sohan from Baylor. So two Baylor wings, but, you know, all these guys are wings. It's kind of interesting to me that uh, just to look at my process and kind of step back and be like, wow, that's kind of interesting that all these wings ended up mixed together. As I step back to, I think 
I wanted to leave Brown, Baldwin, and Matherin at the top of this keep because those were the guys I believed in from the start. Uh, they're the guys that I came in on the highest on. And while guys like Harrison Ingram have really grown on me, Jeremy Sohan has exceeded my expectations. I do want to try to stick with my initial thoughts on these guys because I think that's probably still the best way to do it where you've got to value everything equally, but it's very easy to let in the bias of just overrating the most recent things you've seen. And so, you know, that's kind of interesting with Dyson Daniels where seeing him in All-Star Weekend was a unique experience. Do you overrate that? Do you underrate that? How much is that worth? To me, honestly, I do think that was pretty valuable just to see him out there physically. He looked the part, but also just seeing how he moved, how he interacted with the guys, both on the court and just uh, the the buckets he was able to get. Just He just looked so comfortable out there, and uh, so did Scoot Henderson, and I thought Marjan Beauchamp did too. And we won't talk about the one guy from the G League Ignite that really did not look good at all from really any perspective. But I just thought that was unique. It was the first time we've seen guys like this from, you know, college level guys, you know, playing G League Ignite, be able to play with NBA players who were just a few years older. And it's important to me to see those guys mentally think, you can see them thinking kind of in their brains, like, how do I fit in here? And then just the confidence they play with. He looked the part to me, so that was important. But um, anyway, I, th- I think that'll be interesting to see, like, how much should we have taken from that looking back, you know, a few years from now. Just a, a fun experience, if nothing else, to see those guys play with other NBA players for the first time. But Don't want to get too far into the weeds there. The guy I wanted to talk about is Pat Baldwin because, like, you know, he's just really struggled this year. Most people have him sliding very far down their list. I still have him at number 10, which it is a little scary to me, but I guess I'll start with this. This is the group I feel least confident in. You know, looking back, you know, we've talked about how weak we think this draft is, both me and other analysts. And I think by and large, that is true. But in the end, I actually would feel pretty excited picking in the top three of this draft. And just the top eight overall, I think is pretty good. When you're talking about Paulo going four, when you're talking about Johnny Davis going eight on my board, like to me, I kind of like that top eight. I'm really not that low on that compared to the average draft. But then when you talk about the 9 to 14 range, that to me is where I probably wouldn't want to be picking. I think it's the lowest value proposition area of the class. And I could listen to 20 different names in this 9 to 14 class and be totally fine with it, to be honest. So I think that is kind of, to me, where it gets really interesting. And so the teen range on draft night is going to be... It's the most interesting to me just in terms of the variance of opinions and what teams will actually do on draft night. But to get into Pat Baldwin here, he's first of all, he's probably done. They came out and said he's probably not going to play anymore this year. So uh, his stat line, he ended up with 12 points per game on 42% on twos, 26.6% on threes. That's scary bad. But 
to me, the thing that I'm sticking with is I'm just not going to let a 6'9 guy with that level of shot making talent and just that stroke, that skill level at 6'9 drop too far. That's a mistake that I think can be made if you're dropping him really just way too far. Now, of course, I can't argue that he was not good this year. What I can argue is that the situation he was in failed him. It was just a failed experiment to go play for his dad's team at at, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. One of, honestly, the worst teams in college basketball. And if you go look it up on stat sites, I'm not really exaggerating. They're ranked like the 300th ranked team in college basketball in Bart Torvik. Just awful team. It's a dumpster fire of a program right now. But I think the interesting thing here for me, again, to do another comparison, this one's both work statistically and kind of play style is the Zaire Williams comparison with Pat Baldwin. And when I brought it up, I had people talk about, well, you know, Zaire Williams is playing in the Pac-12 and that's true. And also it's true that his situation was awful last year because Stanford had to play on the road the whole time. And I think he had a death in the family too. So, but I mean, there's issues with both these guys' circumstances. And I think comparing, you know, what's more difficult as a prospect playing with just an awful team like Milwaukee, Wisconsin versus playing a more difficult uh, schedule in the Pac-12, like which of those is more difficult is kind of an interesting thought process, interesting discussion or debate. But just in terms of their statistical profile to go down it, I uh, I think it's interesting. The first thing that I'll bring up is these guys will be the first two guys. Well, Zaire Williams was the first one last year to be drafted coming off of a college season in which they put up a negative box plus minus. Like that's pretty hard to do. You have to be a negative player significantly in college to have a negative box plus minus bj boston was also drafted in the second round last year and i think he also ended up with a negative bpm but i went back and checked the this site goes back to 2008 so that kind of puts in perspective the new kind of era we're in where teams are willing to draft for upside they're willing to draft for the pre-college sample and they're also willing to draft for the physical profile they're willing to look over basically the college sample that you put up the college production because these guys were kind of not to be too harsh but unprecedented how rough of seasons they had and to still get drafted so i'm just going to quickly go down some of the stats we talked about just the catch-all bpm but if you look at the rebounding rates they're about the same the assist rates are similar Now, Zaire turned the ball over even more. Neither of them got to the free throw line. Their stock rates are very similar. And they both shot, well, Zaire shot a little bit better from the free throw line, but pretty similar in the 70s as well. Both shot like 42% on twos. And uh, Zaire shot 29% compared to 26% on threes for Pat Baldwin. But it is interesting to me how similar all of these stats are between these two guys so very similar year but you know cutting to the chase in a draft that most people considered stronger last year zaire williams still went 10th to a very good organization 
And 10th is where I have Pat Baldwin now. I loved Zaire Williams coming into the season last year. I thought he was terrible at Stanford. I thought they were equally bad. But I, I will say Pat Baldwin has at least one great game against Robert Morris. Yes, it was Robert Morris, but he was fantastic, putting up 26 points, shooting six of six from three. And let's not overlook, too, uh, North Dakota and Eastern Kentucky, the first two games of the year, he was pretty good, too. But since then, it's just been awful, and now they're kind of going to sit him out the rest of the year. So if Zaire Williams went 10 in a stronger draft, I wouldn't be shocked if Baldwin goes lottery this year, even coming off of that wretched season that he just put up. But a lot of it's going to come down to individual workouts, how he shoots in workouts, because that's kind of what you're drafting him for. All right. In the final segment, I'll finish up my top 20. And I'll give you a hint. The guy that I'm going to talk about in the next segment is Ty Ty Washington. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's impossible now for your local chain auto parts store to stock everything you need. Why endure often pointless or kind of awkward or intimidating questionings at the local auto parts store, and you have to wait in person too behind while the person behind the counter deals with other people and has to order the parts you need? Instead, you can use Rock Auto. All you have to have is a computer with access to rockauto.com, and you can do it from home. Makes it all easier, simpler, and avoid that hassle of getting out. So save time and money when you use Rock Auto. It's a family business, too, serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are also reliably low for every customer. Again, Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And when you do, write locked on in their section where they say, how did you hear about us? So that they know we sent you. Again, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, the final section here, I've got two more tiers, each of three players. The first seg- the first section here, the first tier, these are guys ranked 15, 16, 17, and then 18, 19, 20. So Ty Ty Washington will be at 15. Jalen Williams, who I talked about last week or might have been two weeks ago now. The center out of Arkansas, Keegan Murray out of Iowa, out of Iowa. And then the final tier, Tari Eason, Blake Wesley, and Walker Kessler. That rounds out my top 20. I'm going to run through that quickly again. Ty Ty, Jalen Williams, Keegan Murray, final segment or final tier here. Tari Eason, Blake Wesley, Walker Kessler. So just wanted to throw a few thoughts around on Ty Ty before I finish up today. The first one is we know Ty Ty is the mid-range god. He is just a very unique player. And it's kind of fun in a an analytical world that we live in, both just on draft Twitter and the kind of modern basketball world that we live in that is so analytically focused. And then you see Ty Ty Washington, where by my count, he has taken 266 shots this season in total from the field. 140 of those have been for mid-range. In other words, 
if you can do that quick math in your head, he's taken over half of his shots from mid-range. Um, yeah, so if you add up shots at the rim plus shots from three, it's only 126. So again, more mid-range shots than shots at the rim and from three combined. Now, is that a strength or is a bit of a concern? To me, it's kind of both because he's shooting over 51% on those long twos. So when you talk about being analytically friendly, uh, it doesn't matter if you're shooting 51% on those shots. Those are good shots. But you would like to see like the burst or the handle to get all the way to the rim. And you would like to see the volume from three grow up, go up as that will be something that he needs to do at the next level. But I love the touch on his shot. I love that he's able to get to create and make mid-range shots because when you're drafting guards or you're drafting shot creators, you want them to be able to create efficient shots for themselves and for others. But also the great players need to be able to create tough shots and make them when their teams need it down the stretch. Now, it'll be interesting to see how much efficient offense he can generate at the next level and also how many difficult shots he can hit. But at the college level, he's shown he can do that. Also, I always harp on the fact that smaller-ish guards need to have floaters in the modern NBA, especially with a lot of drop defenses. It's just a weapon that those guys need if you can't get consistently all the way to the rim. Now, if you're a Westbrook or a Ja Morant-level athlete, it's a little bit less necessary, but even Ja probably, in my opinion, has the best floater right now, potentially in all of the NBA. Anyways, getting back to Ty Ty, 21 of 37 on runners this year, which is fantastic. But uh, he also doesn't get to the free throw line either. So he's just an interesting prospect with the strengths, the weaknesses. Plus, you really, well, I won't tell you what to factor in, but I really do factor in the Kentucky bump. We've seen it with all the guards that have been through there, whether it's Hero, SGA, Tyrese Maxey, even a guy like Bam Adebayo, obviously not a guard, but Kentucky guys tend to end up showing that they had more than they were able to show in their lone season at Kentucky. I think we're going to continue seeing some of that from Isaiah Jackson when he gets back from injury, but I think we'll see some of that from Ty Ty too. Look, it's also interesting to me that he's been good, one of the best players on one of the best college basketball teams, so that makes me a little bit more reassured too. And I do think he can be a point guard at the next level. I think he can be a lead ball handler. He's proven to be a good passer. And I think that's always been a little underrated because kind of his scoring, his mid-range shooting and his floater has always been kind of the sell with him. But I do like him as a passer. I think he can be a point guard and lead ball handler. He just obviously won't end up ever be the single best player on an offense in the NBA. The last thought on him is I think his his length, his 6'9 wingspan is kind of low-key important. It's just a distinction from other similar players where you just don't see that type of length very, op- very often. It kind of reminds me of like Kevin Porter Jr.-ish where the, the arms just kind of go forever. Um, 6'9 wingspan, only 6'3 height, but again, that length helps him be more effective defensively. And while he's not going to be a guy that switches everything in the NBA, what I always say is length 
is the most important determinant of how well a guy is going to end up doing defensively in the NBA. Length is everything. And a couple more numbers on him. 3.0 defensive box plus minus for Ty Ty Washington. That's fifth among all freshman guards this year. That was honestly better than I expected, and that is a good sign. And again, the just a little bit of defense that length he has is a fun kind of differentiator because one of my favorite positional battles in this draft is kind of this freshman crop of combo guards where Turquavion Smith, Blake Wesley, Ty Ty Washington, I'd even throw Malachi Branham in there who's gone off lately. You know, Ty Ty is the consensus top there. I have him as the top guy. Um, I think he just is a little bit better of a shooter score, especially from mid range. And then that length he has is interesting. Blake Wesley has that too. And Malachi Branham's a little bit bigger, but I think that's, it's an interesting and fun differentiator from most of kind of the six, three combo guard brand of prospect. You'll find we'll continue to see him. His team will be in the tournament. So it'll be fun to keep track of him and the rest of these guys. So that rounds out my top 20, had fun kind of digging in, talking about Jalen Duran, Pat Baldwin, Ty Ty, especially on this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, for making this show your first listen today, and hopefully that is the case every day. I would now go ahead and make your second listen to Locked On NBA Show because we've got experts covering the biggest stories around the NBA every Monday through Friday in under 20 minutes. It is also available and free wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in, and have a great rest of your day.